Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and I'd like to welcome you to the very first episode of a new podcast series called Inside Strategic Coach, and my partner on this entire series is going to be Shannon Waller, who probably knows more about what's inside Strategic Coach than any person on the planet. So in this Inside Strategic Coach podcast, we're going to start off the very first one. We're talking about why the world needs entrepreneurs. So let's talk about who entrepreneurs are, why they're so important, and what makes someone be an entrepreneur as opposed to somebody else. First of all, our definition of entrepreneur, as far as I can tell, goes back to 1804. It's a Frenchman by the name of Say, Jean-Baptiste Say, who was a great fan of Adam Smith, who is considered the father of modern economics. He came up with a definition of entrepreneurism, which I think is as good as it's ever going to get. And he said, an entrepreneur is someone who takes resources from a lower level of productivity to a higher level of productivity. And when he was asked what kind of resources, he said any kind of resources that human beings value. Anything that someone is willing to pay for if it's better than what they had before. This really puts the emphasis, I think, on where human progress really comes from, Shannon, because a lot of individuals think that technology is the cause for human progress, but actually entrepreneurs are the cause for human progress. First of all, what entrepreneurs do, what their impact is, but the other thing is that it hasn't been throughout history that entrepreneurs were really recognized and admired by the general population. This only goes back, as far as I can tell, to maybe about 1700. And it was the first time that individuals, no matter where they came from, how they were born, how they were raised, if someone could get an idea for making something better, and in doing so, produce something that other people wanted to buy, and that could be a product, it could be a service, that person who made things better for other people and took a risk doing it and used their own ingenuity and do it, that person, for the first time in human history, in the 1600s and 1700s, right around that point, that person began to be admired. And people said there's a great deal of dignity in people who make things better. Not people who are born into privilege, not people who are born into power, but people who just use their own personal resources and make the resources of other people better. That person is admirable, and then you get this explosion of entrepreneurial activity, and it starts showing up in 1800, and since 1800, there's been more progress since 1800 than all of whatever the number of hundreds of thousands of years of human history was before that. So it's this one individual, type of individual, that creates human progress. And I'll stand by that because I've really studied this and I've worked with thousands of entrepreneurs. So it sounds like almost everyone's economic well-being increases when you've got someone who's willing to take the risks and as a result of that, be both respected and rewarded for taking those mm -hmm. risks. So I've heard you talk about a statistic in terms of what percentage of economic growth people have experienced since the 1800s. Well, there's three measurements that we can use, Shannon, to actually talk about the impact that entrepreneurs have had. The first one is total population. And the second one is individual lifetime expectancy. And the third one is per capita income. So 
if you just use these three, you can see that we live in a totally different world. Exactly. So, Dan, it's a big thing to say that entrepreneurs have created all of this. So what are some examples of the improvements of how things are faster, easier, cheaper, and bigger that have helped more people stay alive on the planet, life expectancy to go up, and per capita income to go up? So what have entrepreneurs done specifically? Yeah, well, just to get to the numbers for the three, in 1800, there were, for the first time, one billion human beings on the planet. Number two, the average life expectancy was about 26 And that wasn't too much different from what it had been at the time, let's say, of Julius Caesar, which is about 50 BC, you have Julius Caesar. And about 26, the Roman statistics kind of indicate us. And number three, the per capita income in 1800 in present dollars is about $300 per person on the planet. So if we take those three, so... Just in terms of population, we've gone from 1 billion to it's about 7.3 billion right now. So 7.3, you know, it's huge. I mean, all of a sudden it took all of human history to get to 1 billion. And then suddenly in a little bit more than 200 years, you're at 7.3 billion. I say entrepreneurs were responsible for that. Number two is longevity. Human longevity has gone from 26 to an average somewhere in the neighborhood of about 75, 75. It's jumped about 49 years. And a lot of that has to do with reduced infant mortality. Yes, it does. Mm -hmm. Yes, it does. It has to do with, first of all, the idea that we should be improving our cities and cleaning things up and having modern plumbing and everything like that. And what you'll see is these are thought of as civic projects, but basically it was where individual entrepreneurs would take a section of the city and they would clean it up and they would provide products and services and provide all sorts of skills that actually increased human hygiene, which was the biggest one. And then the other thing is the per capita income on the planet right now has gone roughly from about $300 per person to $5,000 per person. Some people have a lot of $5,000 and others have just little, but it's actually that. So you've got some huge jumps. So you've got 7.3 times in population. You've got a 49-year increase in human longevity, and you've got roughly a 17 times increase in per capita income. And my basic feeling is all of this has grown because of the growing admiration that the entire, first of all, local publics, then national publics, and then global public have of these individuals who make things better called entrepreneurs. I really love that perspective because that hasn't always been the case. And sometimes you and I both know thousands of entrepreneurs. And sometimes they haven't always felt appreciated or they're different from their families or they're not professors. They may not be professionals. But these are the people who actually do do things mm-hmm. and make things and create mm-hmm. things that are of value to other people. And that's a very essential role for human progress is what you're saying. First of all, there's two problems that keeps you from actually appreciating entrepreneurs. Number one is the vast majority of activity as far as the observing public goes is invisible because there's just millions and millions and millions of little transactions per day, millions of improvements per day, and they don't advertise themselves. It's just somebody getting on with business. 
for that day. So that makes it very, very difficult. The other thing is that the people who are responsible for recording things and commenting on things, generally speaking, are not favorable towards entrepreneurism. So the news media, the academic community, government bureaucrats, I would say the cultural communities, this would be theater and the arts, that these individuals actually form another part of society. You could call it intellectual society. But these are individuals who think that your worth is really in relationship to your learning and your education, and that these individuals, unless you have a degree to actually do something, then you don't really have a right to just put yourself out in the marketplace and say, I can do this for something because you haven't gone through the necessary tests and you haven't gone through the necessary courses and got credentials to do this. So actually what you have is a kind of envy on the part of what I would call the the intellectual classes. It's the best word that I can use because it's a big enough umbrella. But they're the people who are in charge a lot of the major communications in the world. And they will typically, if you watch an evening's television and a business person is depicted, that person is depicted as greedy. There's almost like they're false. They're untruthful. They're doing secret deals. They're not depicted in a good way. They're depicted as mean. They're depicted as ruthless and everything like that. But you have to understand that this has no bearing to the actual reality of what goes on in the entrepreneurial world. This is a group of people who actually are not entrepreneurs and who feel a great deal of envy towards the entrepreneurial class. And that kicked in, very, very interestingly, right around the middle of the 19th century. So this would be the 1840s and 1850s. And sort of this depiction of the entrepreneurial class as a negative, a negative in society and that people have to be protected from the entrepreneurs. And the reason was that the intellectual class itself wasn't creating anything that was making things better. And they could see that entrepreneurs were being rewarded. Some individuals became very wealthy, they became famous. And the intellectual classes really felt that there was something morally wrong, morally wrong. That is the big thing, is that entrepreneurism is morally wrong or at least suspect. This carries on today, very, very much so. So entrepreneurs, for the most part, don't know this history of their own significance. And then, of course, they're being depicted in a negative way. And so they tend to keep a very low profile so that they don't become a target of criticism. But actually, all the progress that's being made in the world, it's not that all the progress comes from entrepreneurs. I'm saying that all progress is triggered, first of all, by entrepreneurs. Okay, so let's delve into that a little bit, because that's an intriguing statement. So all progress is forwarded by entrepreneurs. So what does that process look like? Are other people making things up? Are entrepreneurs making things up? How do things actually come to the marketplace to benefit everyone? Yeah, somebody's making something up. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And you've been coaching and selling and doing all sorts of really interesting things here at Strategic Coach for 25 years now. And you've actually coached entrepreneurs in a more full way than actually I have because you've coached all their teams. You've created our team program here at Strategic Coach. But what's the image that comes through from all of your coaching? Because these are the team leaders and the team members that you have in your Strategic Coach programs 
who are all entrepreneurial companies, what do they say about their entrepreneur? Well, it's really interesting. If I think about the clients I've coached and the team leaders and the teams that I've coached, it's that they're doing real work. It's kind of the reality. It's the backbone, I think, of, of society. And one of the things I love most about entrepreneurs, they're such genuine and authentic people. They're not trying to please anybody else. And so that may be why the intellectual class doesn't relate to them very much. But it, to me, they're just, again, so genuine. You may like or not like what they're doing or what they're saying or how they're saying it, but they're very clear. There's no politics with entrepreneurs is what I find. And they're doing good work that is creating value for other people. Because if an entrepreneur is doing something that isn't creating value, they don't get paid. You know, there's a very essential formula in the marketplace. I think a ton of people forget that the only reason why entrepreneurs make money is because they're creating value. And as you've taught me, creating value is in the eye of the beholder. Yes. <laughs> you may think you're doing it backstage, but in fact, the only value creation is front stage. And so that's what I really notice about working with our clients and other entrepreneurs I've met is that they're clear, they're grounded, they're authentic, they're real. And they're always focused on actually what do people need and how can I fulfill that need and how can we do it profitably so that we're both benefiting and both growing. So to me, it's such a, you know, I was looking for who I was going to work with after graduating from university. And by the way, my perspective on university is that's where I went to learn what other people already know. There wasn't anything new. There's no original thought from those intellectuals. So I recognize, because I like new things, that if I'm going to work with a group of people, I need to work with people who are creating something new. Mm -hmm. So that, for me, has been the total joy of the last 25 years, is doing that with them and creating things that create value for them, too. So it's kind of a long answer yeah. to your question, no, but no, that's but who it they is. are. I was reading a book yesterday it's by a really terrific economist by the name of Deirdre McCloskey, who comes from the University of Illinois in Chicago, she said that the proper word for what's happened in our world since 1800 is trade-tested progress. And I think it's such a great name. In Strategic Coach, we have a concept, test only on check writers. In other words, I always tell the entrepreneurs who are in the Strategic Coach program, that your ideas have absolutely no value until you've tested them on someone who could write you a check. And if they write the check, that means there's value to what you have created. If they refuse to write the check, there's no value to that idea until you come across someone who's willing to pay for it. If we can just zero in on this, Shannon, I think this is a very harsh reality for a group of people in society who have essentially spent from the time they were four years old to possibly their late 20s in the school system, where they were told all sorts of things about how important they were, how important what they were learning was, and that they were really kind of a privileged class of people because they were educated and they went to these prestigious universities and they have these kinds of degrees. And then they graduate and they go out into the marketplace and all of a sudden their entire existence for almost their entire life is kind of put under the spotlight and someone says, you know, you have a lot of interesting ideas and everything, but is there actually anything that you can do that would benefit me or benefit anyone else? And they said, yes, but you understand that I studied this philosopher and study this philosopher, and I know this term and this term, that in itself should be valuable. And the person across from says, no, I don't have any use for that whatsoever. It doesn't interest me. And I think that 
how the person responds, because it's a rejection. You know, it's a rejection saying, I don't care what you've studied and what you've been through for the last 25 years of your life. I just want to know if you can actually do something. So that's a very harsh reality, and some, I think some individuals, it infuriates them that this world out there doesn't respect what they've been through. So this is a fascinating thing, but in fact, the people who are really doing the good in the world are not the people with big titles, bureaucratic titles. They're not part of big famous organizations. They're actually just individuals who are in a million different marketplaces around the world offering for sale millions of different kinds of products and services. And every day they're being tested to whether on that given day they're doing something that someone else wants to pay them for. And this constantly increases their knowledge, their skill, their wisdom about what the world wants and what the world doesn't want. Mm -hmm. Dan, the thing I want to talk about now is how, again, it's kind of that response to that rejection. <laughs> because entrepreneurs, you've talked about it in the sense that they make two very different decisions than most people do. Mm -hmm. So can you describe what those are? Because to my mind, they really also, in addition to the definition of being an entrepreneur, they really kind of lead the path for how someone becomes an entrepreneur, or if you are an entrepreneur, the two decisions that you made in order to get there. Yes. And just to talk statistically, Shannon, is that if you're using all the different forms of self-employment as our definition of what an entrepreneur is, in other words, that you are relieving someone else of the job of actually paying you, and you're going to go out and get your own money for yourself, the first decision is that I will depend entirely on my own abilities to ensure my financial security and success. So in other words, I'm never going to be in the job market. I am going to create the means to pay myself. And that's an incredible decision on the part of any person to make when the news and everything is just filled with the whole concept of job, 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 good job, good job, not enough jobs, these many jobs. Entrepreneurs completely bypass that. They just create their own independent financial existence in the marketplace. Huge, huge distinction from the general population. That's the first entrepreneurial decision. So, Dan, what's the second entrepreneurial decision? And I really like this one because, to my mind, it touches on what we already talked about. It also means that you're doing some good in the world. Yes, and the second decision is that I will expect no one else to give me any kind of opportunity or any kind of reward or support until I first created value. So what I'm saying is that nobody owes me anything. Nobody has any particular obligation to open a door for me. Before I even encounter someone, I've got to think of a way of creating value for that person. And I'll take my chances that I'm smart enough and I'm insightful enough and I'm going to find a way of creating a value for this individual, this group of individuals, this market of individuals. I'm going to do that before I expect anything to come back the other way. Again, a radically different way of looking at life. When you look at, you see the protests of students saying, you know, you, you're not giving us this and you're not giving us that. And you're not giving us opportunity and jobs and support and everything else. You can see what a radical different mindset entrepreneurs are operating with. 
So they're really willing to do something much riskier and depend upon their own their own mm-hmm. creativity and capabilities mm-hmm. to make it happen and to learn as they go. What percentage of the population are entrepreneurs? How many are willing to take that risk? Yes, and this is pretty uniform by age. So 100 years ago, this was the number. And it's pretty uniform around the world. It's 5% of the working adult population. That's the only thing you can measure here. But on the other hand, there's lots of children, some by necessity and some just by the huge opportunity of this special age that we're living in, the microchip age. You're getting children now starting companies below 10 years old. There's instances of 12-year-olds forming an IPO on the stock market. So I think there's been a spreading down younger when entrepreneurism starts, and I think it goes much later because for a period of the 20th century, we had retirement age. But entrepreneurs can go into their 70s, 80s, 90s, And I personally have ambitions of being even more active and more successful in my 90s than I am right now in my 70s. Very cool. So, Dan, we've covered a lot of different Mm -hmm. aspects of entrepreneurs. And so why the world needs entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. and the fact that it really happened around 1600, 1700s, where people actually were respected Mm -hmm. and rewarded for taking that risk. And Mm -hmm. that led to increased individual freedom and dignity and just the growth of population, of lifespan, and of basically their per capita income. That's really been a result of it. But Mm -hmm. those people have to make that very, very personal decision to not count on someone else for their economic Mm well-being, to first create value before you expect opportunity for someone else. So I think if you're listening as an entrepreneur, hopefully you really just appreciate how unique you are in the world compared to everybody else. Yes, and I would say this, that nobody has to do this, Shannon. Nobody has an obligation to become an entrepreneur. And Don't become an entrepreneur to save the world. It's not about that. Become an entrepreneur to expand your own sense of your own personal freedom and expand all the other rewards that can come with your freedom. And this is the interesting thing. I think it's another point of anger that the intellectual classes have towards entrepreneurs. They don't need a cause to be motivated. Entrepreneurs are self-motivating. And it almost comes across to the intellectual classes that they have to have a big global cause to feel meaning in their life. And they observe that entrepreneurs don't seem to have these big causes, but they have the daily cause of creating more value tomorrow than I created yesterday and being rewarded to a larger degree tomorrow than I'm rewarded. And this drives people crazy. There's got to be bigger than that. And they don't understand that this very activity of entrepreneurs just expanding their own personal freedom by expanding the value creation to their particular very specific customers and clients, they're doing more good for the world and they're triggering more new human progress than anything the intellectual classes are doing with their causes and their ideas. And they're also creating more jobs, which is a kind of fun irony. And if you look at developing countries, when you can support, for example, a woman in the community and help her become an entrepreneur, that's what changes the entire economic structure of her community. So entrepreneurism is definitely a massive value creation in the world compared to anything else. Yeah. And again, it's incessant. It now, in one way or another, involves billions of people, either as entrepreneurs or as parts of entrepreneurial organizations. And it's taking on incredible new forms with social media, you know, which we'll get into in a future podcast about how 
I believe right now that the government statistics, which measure progress in the marketplace, are flying fairly blind right now because I think that there's an enormous amount of value creation that's happening electronically that just doesn't register in any statistics. And in fact, the world right now, which is the wealthiest world we've ever had, the most well-off world we ever had, my feeling is that it's a far wealthier and well-off world than the statistics actually tell us right now. And this is the beautiful thing about the podcast series we have here because we're talking about Strategic Coach as a specific company. But the whole point is that this specific company called the Strategic Coach is designed from day one to help talented, successful, ambitious entrepreneurs to expand their personal freedoms, obviously to better their own lives. But before they can better their own lives, they have to better the lives of all their clients and customers and the communities that they live in. So it's inside Strategic Coach from a lot of different perspectives. I love it. Dan, thank you very much. The context around this in terms of entrepreneurism and why the world needs entrepreneurs and the value they provide is, I think, a totally new and very succinct insight into that. So I appreciate it. And next time, we're going to talk about the key entrepreneurial problem, which I think will be a great conversation, too. Thanks a lot, Shannon. Thank you, Dan.